Acoustic Alternatives, the podcast done in Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. If you're looking for a place to practice before a gig or if you're a DJ or a band in the Ann Arbor, Detroit area and you're looking for a place to get out of your garage and not annoy the heck out of your neighbors, you can come here and make some noise. It doesn't annoy mostly anybody except for the guy down the hall. We might hear a little bit of his stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And today my podcast is focusing on my friend Griffin House, who's recently released an album called Stories for a Rainy Day. Griffin, welcome. Thank you. Good to see you again. Good to be back again. Michigan loves you, and we're happy that uh, you've chosen to put us on your tour, which means I get to catch up with you in person. And uh, we're going to get into a little bit of your backstory and do a few songs, a couple songs, or whatever you're feeling from yeah. Stories for a Rainy Day. Sure. Uh, do you feel like starting with a song, or would you rather chat a little first? Well, let's chat a little. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, let's go background. Let's start with background. You grew up somewhere in Ohio, right? Yep, Springfield, Ohio. And that's where the Simpsons are from. That's what people say. I don't know. I don't think it's actually our town. I don't know where. I think they did determine where that Springfield was at some point, but it wasn't. It's very Shelbyville. We didn't, we didn't have any n- nuclear um, reactors or anything there, so it's <laughs> probably not us. I figure whatever Springfield is next to a Shelbyville wins, but... Yeah. I don't know that there really is one. Yep. I recently, there, might, there might be. Recently learned that John Legend was in your school with you Yeah, well? John Legend. He was John Stevens then, but he sang the national anthem and sang uh, in the musicals, and so I was talking about him last night, actually, at the show, telling people I went to school. Did you him. know him, and did did you know that he was going to be some sort of a an individual making music? I didn't know him very well, kind of just was, I think he was a year ahead of me, and he might have skipped a grade or something, I'm not sure, I think he's a year older than I am, though, and um, I, uh, what was I going to say, oh yeah, I remember he went away to school, to college, and we had heard a rumor that he had started playing keyboards for Lauren Hill, and that was just like, we couldn't believe that that was actually true. I mean, <laughs> just like someone from Springfield could be playing for a famous person was out of this world. But apparently he was, and then he, um, we ended up being on the same production deal in Philadelphia, like totally unrelated, had nothing to do with the fact that we were from the same spot, but he had gone to school out there, and I signed... A production deal with a, um, a company in Philadelphia, and we were like, there were only three people on this roster, and we were both hmm. of them. So, um, and at that point in high school, you weren't really doing music, right? You didn't really pick up no. music until after. Yeah, I didn't even. I had never even touched an instrument, and um, I, I first sang in a musical in Oklahoma. I got cast in a part there, so that was my first experience singing. <laughs> That's a. a Trial by fire, I suppose. Getting, Pretty much. Getting on stage in front of people. Did it light the spark in you? Is that what? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah, I had to. Um, I learned from a tape in my car. I put it in my tape deck and practiced the songs from uh, Oklahoma. And then I finally kind of figured it out. There was a piano teacher that helped me sing along. You know, he'd kind of start me on the right note. And then I, I got the hang of it. It was kind of like riding a bike. But I know when I got a lot of praise for singing... Um, it was really exciting for me because I had no idea that that would be something that I could do, and uh, it ended up being pretty pretty cool. What were your interests before that? Um, mainly sports. Um, I was a golfer in high school. That was what I was best at, and um, I played in junior tournaments and things like that. I played, grew up playing, and um, I won won some a lot of tournaments and did pretty well, and almost. I got offered a scholarship to go to Ohio University, but I decided um, not to go that route. 
How, so. how close did you come to selling tires for a living? Uh, not very close because my dad would never let me come work down there. I'd always ask him when I was a kid if I could come work at the tire shop and make some money and be a tire guy. He would just never let me do it. So it's funny. <laughs> Why do you think he steered you away? Probably because he worked there with his dad and they had some conflict from that and probably better to, I think he wanted to keep the relationship, uh, you know, as uncompromised as possible. So I think he was doing it just to look out for, for us. So where did you go from Springfield? Then I went to Oxford, Ohio to Miami University. So I decided to go to school there and that's where I picked up the guitar. I lived in an arts dorm. I learned from some other kids that were music majors and my roommate, who was also a high school friend, um, played guitar, and I got invited to be a singer in this band, and so I joined this band, became a creative writing major. I went over to Luxembourg for a semester and studied abroad, and I kind of learned um, how to write songs over there. brought a little dictaphone with me and recorded all these ideas all the time. I came home and made a record for myself, so it was like a, my first solo record. Is that the one called Upland, or is there something before Upland? No, it's called No More Crazy Love Songs. So. And um, actually, I, I ended up recording that song for the new record because I thought it would be kind of nice to revisit it. So I did that. And um, yeah, it was just a, a thing I did on like an 18-track re digital recorder, and it was pretty much all acoustic. So, so Upland would be considered the biggest uh, first debut, sort of, right? I would say, I mean, I, I kind of consider... Um, lost and found my first record because it was the first one to come out in stores and actually have distribution or anything behind it so it was on a, on an actual record label but yeah technically it would be no more crazy love songs and upland actually we did the this thing called the never sessions it was five songs that became upland and then upland kind of morphed into lost and found we took like four three or four of those songs put them on lost and found and that was like my first major label release and a pretty great company to get involved with Network, mm -hmm. which was a label I was a pretty big fan of back in the day. Yeah. I'm not really sure what they're putting out these days. But yeah, I don't know. They're kind of lost track. There was some consistency to, like, mm -hmm. if you know it's on Network, it's going to be good. Yeah, they had a lot of um, they had a lot of people back then, including, like, I think Coldplay's manager was at Network for a minute. And uh, they had all sorts of people. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin, Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. Avril Lavigne. I mean, ton, the list goes on. But. Yeah. It was an impressive roster. And yeah. before that, there was a bidding war for you. What did that feel like at the time? Um, really exciting. I bet. It was really exciting. I uh, I found the – well, I, I was a big Ryan Adams fan when he was his record, Heartbreaker, was one I started listening to in Philadelphia. And then uh, I went down to Nashville and started meeting, like, all the people that worked with him. Like, um, his manager, Frank Kalari, was, like, one of the first people to – find me and pay attention to me and then um and then island def jam which owned lost highway was like the label that he was on and so i was like man this is pretty crazy like i just moved down here and now i'm talking to all these people and um so yeah it was it was wild to get into the music business in that way yeah just thrown right in yeah pretty much now, I still have the, uh, you know, the stickers, the hype stickers that come on. I, I like to save those for some reason. Yeah. And in this case, with the Lost and Found album, it oh, compares yeah. Bono and Johnny Cash. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I suppose, probably a cool thing for you because you're, as far as I could tell, a yeah. fan of both. Yeah. That was the Paste Magazine quote, I think. 
So that's it's a nice start. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a good start. Yep, I remember when that they had given me a really good review and they featured me in a lot of like um, up and coming artists to watch or something and got a lot of press from them in the early days and then but I remember like the first time I thought the record we made was so great and I was so proud of it and I remember the first time I read a negative review and I was my feelings were so hurt and I was like (laughs) how could this person say this stuff about me like this is crazy I can't I was like this guy is horrible and made me so upset that I kind of like like I cannot read reviews anymore like this is crazy so somebody having a bad day and just ripping on an artist that they don't know it's like jeez that's their job <laughs> I guess yeah everyone's a critic well everyone likes something different like I mean Jay-Z mm-hmm. has sold millions of records I've never liked one of them yeah yeah nothing you know, no offense to anybody who likes this stuff it just doesn't appeal to me right it's not just because it's rap I just don't hear anything right I can say that about even some you know local artists that have sent me yeah. their music which is not a nice thing to say but it's just not everything is good mm-hmm. right and everyone's taste is different yeah being a U2 fan have you heard Matt Nathanson's cover of Octoon Baby that he calls Octoon Maddie no no <laughs> he does the whole album oh wow check that out that's cool that's just a sidebar I don't know why I threw that in there I've but... never never knew that that's pretty cool did you ever play any shows with him I did I played I opened a show for him at um at Vanderbilt University in Nashville one time. And it was a long time ago. It was probably like 2004 or five, I bet. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, he's, he's good at uh, entertaining in between the songs, for sure. For sure. Are you ready to sing? Wanna yeah, I could one? do one. All right, something from Stories for a Rainy Day? Yeah. Since that's what we're here to talk about a little bit, besides yeah. your career. I think I want to play the Mississippi Hippie. All right. I was going to ask you about that one, so. All right. Appropriate. Griffin House is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives from Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. And a track you can find on his new album, Stories for a Rainy Day. It's the lead track, Mississippi Hippie. Backstory for this one? <laughs> I know there is one. Do you want to tell the story before you sing the song? Um, yeah, I, I was. this is a song that's like written in 2009 or 10, but I forgot all about it. And it was for a project for Esquire magazine that my friend Charlie Mars put together. And he took... Uh, Myself and Dirk Bentley and Bob Schneider and Ben Queller, we all went down there. And um, our assignment for the weekend was to write a song with the phrase somewhere in Mississippi in it. <laughs> and um, Danny Clinch photographed the whole thing and documented the weekend. And I had fun writing this song called The Mississippi Hippie. Played it that weekend, but then um, I think Esquire put it up on their website for a while online, but it never really got released. And then it just kind of got buried and forgotten about I never really wrote it down or recorded it myself and then in the middle of the pandemic this guy uh, Mark kept showing up at my online shows and one week he requested the Mississippi Hippie and I kind of ignored him because I was like I I can't play that song I don't know it and he showed up like three weekends in a row and and finally I just had to say man I, I would play this song for you if I knew it but I don't remember it and then later that night I got a direct message on Instagram, and Mark had sent me a recording of Mississippi Hippie. <laughs> he had it, and you he didn't. had it, and yeah. So I, uh, I listened to it, and I was like, "Well, this is actually pretty good. I could re- rework this uh, one verse and make it better." And then I actually got to play it for Mark later that summer in Columbus, and I told the whole story. He showed up at the show, and it went well. Um, it was like a song that got a lot of laughs every night. So I kept playing it, and I had so much fun doing it, and it was working so well at the shows that I decided I should probably put it on my album, so I did. There you go. Yeah. Griffin House on Acoustic Alternatives. (laughs) 
Somewhere in Mississippi is where my dad was born. He grew up on a farm, milking cows and growing corn. And he met my mom at Woodstock back in 69. She grew up in Jackson right across the county line. And they had one thing in common. They were hippies from Mississippi. They had a little house out on the Natchez Trace But mom, she got so fed up with feeling out of place That she spent the 1980s touring with the dead And when I asked her why she left us, this is all she said Son, it's no fun being a hippie in Mississippi so we moved into a commune and I never had a chance That's why I never had a date to any high school dance Although there was one girl who liked me I think her name was Julie She wore the same shirt every day And she smelled like patchouli And by the time we left for college I realized, oh my God, I'm a hippie from Mississippi you gotta have your football if you're in the SEC But no one wants to have a hippie in their fraternity So I rooted for Alabama and even Ohio State Yeah, I cheered for any team that Mississippi hates And that made it just a little more tolerable To be a hippie in Mississippi All right San Francisco if I had that kind of cash I'd drop the LSD and smoke some California hash and I bet you anything I would find my true love there she'd have a lily white dress and flowers in her hair and I'd walk right up to her and say you'd go awfully nice with a hippie from Mississippi somewhere in Mississippi I heard it on the news, Tiger Woods is in the clinic with the sex addiction blues. And I know it can't be easy being locked up in a room with no cell phone and no internet and nothing else to do. But if you think that's hard, Tiger, try being a hippie in Mississippi. Griffin House on Acoustic Alternatives, Mississippi Hippie, the lead track from Stories for a Rainy Day, his 2022 release that came out on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Hey, all for love. <laughs> There's no love songs on here. I guess there is. There's no more crazy love songs on here. <laughs> anyway. Anti-love song. Anti-love song. I wanted to ask about how you get into a character song like that. That's not about you. You're not a Mississippi mm. Hippie. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I just, uh, it seemed like a good way to tell a story. And I mean, sometimes when you're trying to tell a story... It, it, the rhymes won't always work if you try to put it in the third person. And so you, you kind of just move stuff around and figure out, does the song need to be in the first person or second person or third person? And so, um, yeah, I just told the story in first person. I mean, it's done a lot in, in music. I mean, people often assume that things are autobiographical just because it's in the first person, but that's most probably more often than not not the case. So, <laughs> yeah. We'll come back to the album and the uh... 
other characters on the album. I want to back up a bit back to album number three, where you had a song that now has two million views on YouTube. The guy that says goodbye to you is out of his mind, which is kind of my starting point with falling yeah. in love with your music and still one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh. What does it feel like to have a video that has two million views? but has never really been a radio hit. No, it's so weird, isn't it? I Well, I'm really grateful for that song uh, coming out of nowhere and falling in my lap one day and that I was there to capture it because it did make a big difference in um, me being known as an artist and it helped my shows go a lot better, which is what how I've built my whole career is around touring. And so when that song came out, I had been touring it for a, a, probably a year already, but then it kind of got people started to find out about it and pay attention to it and my crowd started to grow and um we had a f- famous show at the Double Door in Chicago where this is the first time that it was a I think it was sold out it was like four yeah it was definitely sold out it was like 400 people or more at this place and we were just like wow we walked in and it was all because of that song getting out there and uh so it's helped a lot two million view- views though it's funny because like my my daughters are like, Dad, this guy has like 80 million YouTube subscribers. So they look at 2 million views and it's like nothing. So my kids are... It's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd be happy if that were me. Yeah, it's a lot of views. It is. Well, actually, I'd heard of you. I'm lost and found. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had that record already. Yeah. But it wasn't really like... A, it hadn't impacted me the way... I liked songs yeah. on it, but that one made me go, whoa, what a great song. It just hit me in the heart like I'm sure it does a lot uh, of people. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm glad I... Glad I got to write that one. Um, it's uh, unfortunately that album that had that song on it, and, and it never got worked. Like I, I always wonder what would have happened if the label would have actually gotten behind this song and um, worked it at radio. Like it could have been a, a really massive hit. I think had yeah. it been had it done that, but it, it did a lot just by word of mouth. So it ended up on two albums. Did it? Yeah, it ended up on Homecoming and yeah. it ended up on um, Flying Upside Down. And when I made Homecoming, I thought it was such a great record and um, the label network didn't want to put it out. And I was furious. I was like, why wouldn't you put this record as amazing? Like, what is? what are you talking about? And I, for whatever reason, they just didn't want to do it. And so they wanted me to go work with this producer who's now a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, recorded some songs with him first back in 2005, and his name's Jeff Trott, and he produced uh, that record, and he has a lot of hit songs with Cheryl Crow that he's written with her, and uh, moved to Nashville a few years ago, and um, so he had he was friends with some of the guys in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, so he got Ben Montench and Mike Campbell to play on the album, and a couple other really great musicians um, <laughs> for the rest of the band, and uh, we had Justin Meldell Johnson, who's played bass for Beck, and um, we had uh, Victor and Drizzo, who's a great drummer, who's played for lots of people, and uh, so we had this great band, and then the, la- the label finally wanted to put it out, and I think Homecoming's just as good of a record, but they also said, I have to, you gotta put the guy that says goodbye to you on here, because it was clear to them that it was, you know, selling a lot, but I think back then, too, like, labels and producers couldn't wrap their head around the idea that a song like The God Says Goodbye to You could be a hit because it didn't have really have a chorus. And they all they thought that songs need a chorus. It's like, you no, it doesn't. Like Folsom Prison Blues doesn't have a chorus. It doesn't matter. What matters is if it sticks in somebody's mind. 
and it's memorable. You know, the, the whole idea about a chorus is like you write a chorus because that's typically the part that gets stuck in your head. Sure. But if you have a song called The Guy That Says Goodbye to You Is Out of His Mind and you remember it because it's a long title and you remember it for other reasons, you don't need that. So I couldn't convince them, though, that this could be done. So they didn't, they didn't really take a chance on it. And we picked the totally wrong song off the album just because it had a chorus. And it was like a song that's not even, people don't even ask for me to play it. You know, it's like we always notoriously picked the wrong single off every record. So, um, you know, all my most popular songs are, are not the singles that we picked. So that's we, very interesting. we never had any success with that. That's an interesting observation. In the uh, the movie Rising Star about you, I guess documentary, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of talk about, um, how do I phrase that, S- songs that you thought were going to be hits, mm-hmm. besides The Guy That Says Goodbye to you, which is an obvious one. What other songs of yours did you think should have been massive hits? And there's uh, no, I don't think there's any shame in saying so. You wrote Well, them. the the, uh, the song that's, I think, almost is almost as popular as The Guy That Says Goodbye is um, Better Than Love, and that seems to be one that people continue to find out about and pass along. And I, I'm not really sure why. I, think people, I know people get married to that song a lot, mm-hmm. it seems. I've had a lot of people tell me that. But it seems to still have some legs and still get out there. And in terms of, like, downloads or whatever, I think it's I think it's right up there. And then... Your own personal opinion, not the fans' opinion, though, is what I'm asking. Oh, like, my you, personal you, you opinion? You wrote songs and got, this is going to be the hit, for sure. <clears throat> no, it was always, like... It was always one where... Um, I was thinking in almost the opposite direction. Like it, it would be a song that reminded me of U2 or seemed like it was a big song that sounded like something that you would play in a stadium where in fact the exact opposite was often true. Cause I never, I didn't think the guy that says goodbye to you would be a hit. I thought it would be like another song on um, one of my albums. Like I thought Waterfall would be a huge hit, but it, ne- it never, even though it was on a Rembrandt toothpaste commercial, it never really, <laughs> took off and it's still to this day like not one of my most popular songs from downloads i can never really understand that because it's my favorite recording i've ever done but um there were other ones like um, my second record that i made was called um house of david and they didn't put that one out either but i was thinking more like along the lines of like trying to go a little bit like the cold play route and but i didn't really know how to accomplish that so i was trying to write these songs that you could play in like a a stadium. Um, there was a song called Don't Try to Hide It that was on um, House of David. And so I was trying to write these big songs thinking that that's what I needed to do. Hmm. And it was it was the total opposite because the, my first like real hit was was the guy that says goodbye, if you could call it that. But, um, you know, it's weird because it was just me on a guitar and it was all about the words and no chorus. And it was small, a small sounding song, just a little folk song. Yeah. Well, as I kind of examine your songwriting, especially on this album, I mean, it start, it has a, a Mississippi Hippie, I would kind of almost put as a novelty song in, yeah. in a way. And yeah. so is another one that I think you're going to play, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, but God that says goodbye to you, beautiful love song. You've written songs about murder and about uh, murder ballads. And yeah. you've, you've had like both ends of that spectrum. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that friend of yours was the murderer and that had to be a weird song to write, but God, it's a good song. Yeah. I'm God, to, to get it out, it's... Yeah. Anyway, sorry. It was so strange to to have that experience because when you know somebody that does something that awful, you I got the perspective of like, man, I wonder if 
you know, to the rest of the world now, he's going to be this guy that's convicted of first-degree murder. Um, and to me, he was just like this kid that I knew, and, you know, I knew his family and this whole other side of him before all that happened, and it was really strange. I had to... I stopped playing that song, though, because, you know, the some of the writing in the song is, like, really sympathetic toward my friend Andy and it talks you know about forgiveness and things like that and um there was a cop a couple cops in the audience uh in San Francisco and they kind of like took it the wrong way when I sang it I think I was opening for Matt Carney they got really mad at me and uh I don't know I just I got uncomfortable after that to playing that song so I haven't played that song in a long time I never thought of it as you condoning his activity just sort of humanizing him because he is yeah he's just that's a what guy. i was trying to do yeah it was i, th- I thought it was very well written oh, it, it, did, it didn't make me it made me feel sorry for him really not, yeah. not like i i thought oh that's okay he did that it was more like God. yeah that was the goal yeah well, i worked. think people take some of the lines a little too literally or something like there's a then there's a some questioning in the song but yeah I, that's that's how i thought it came across but those guys probably just i probably said something before the song too about like that he um you know what the crime that he had committed and that he shot a police officer and and if those guys were officers then maybe they felt like I was like um condoning glori- well not even condoning but just like sort of um holding him up or glorifying his actions as some sort of like folk hero and and almost like don't don't give somebody like that any attention i i, I get why they would be why that would happen for them but certainly wasn't my intention so ice T saying cop killer and he's on tv still yeah that's right playing a cop which is <laughs> the weirdest thing in the world that's funny <laughs> yes it is all right so uh your life has changed since you began your career you're a parent yeah. of two girls mm-hmm. does that change your songwriting at all as, as a- yeah i mean getting married and having kids i was kind of joke around like i got all my breakup songs out of my <laughs> system in my 20s and didn't need to write those anymore um can't really do that but i the 30s were were certainly like learning more life lessons and growing up and having a family and just uh, songs about stuff like that. And then so far it's been even more progression. I, I've kind of been enjoying make, making people laugh more now with my songs when I can. And I thought in the beginning of my career it was, I was supposed to just try to make everybody cry or <laughs> move them to tears. And now I, I like when people are laughing too. So it's nice to be able to do those at the same show sometimes you wrote the little girl and the old man with your daughter right i did yeah that's kind of fun yeah more of that coming yeah that... <laughs> do you think she's taking an interest in music in the same way she is she's hesitant to work with me because she i think she really wants to be her own person in her own voice and she's afraid that if she sings with me that she'll be like stuck in that character or that mode and i'm trying to convince her like no you can still you can sing with me and then like go do your own thing you don't have to but she's very she's shy and she's protective of her herself so it's kind of uh interesting even though we worked on that together so she's taking voice lessons now at the school of rock and she's learning some instruments but she's um she's extremely talented but she's very shy and uh we're trying i'm trying to figure out how to how to get it to click for her that she's actually could just go sing, you know, sing circles around anyone if she wanted to, but she's just a full of um, a little self-doubt still. So It can happen. Yeah. On the album, there's also a song called Clara. Is that not one of your daughters? Yeah, that's also my daughter, <laughs> Clara. Yeah, so is, I, a song is, for each daughter. What was the other one? 
They're, they're, oh, that's for that's for both. Yeah, right Clara, there. Clara's for um, yeah, Clara's for Clara, and then uh, little girl and the old man is for Emma. There we go. I wasn't yeah. sure which one was for which. Yeah, well, obviously Clara's Clara. Yeah, interesting. All right, cool. And then duetting with Joy Williams at one point on a previous album made me think. I wonder if he's going to do any more of that kind of mm. like duetting with female vocalists because I really like how that sounded on that record. That sounded great. Yeah, she was obviously a, um, a pleasure to sing with. I should say, Joy. Oh. Joy was Joy. <laughs> she um, she's great. She's a good friend and. Um, it was fun to make that song with her. And now that we don't live in Nashville, though, my opportunities to collaborate are few and far between. So that makes um, sense. Yeah, I actually went down to I went down to New Jersey to record the new record stories for a rainy day and worked with some guys that I had made um, my so on and so forth record with. And we did it in like three days. We just did set up and played the songs live and didn't have a full band, just kind of had a uh, drummer, and then I played the guitar and uh, and sang, and then we had a um, keyboard player, piano player, so it was just a pretty stripped-down way to record, but it was fun. Just for review purposes, last night I rented Rising Star because I hadn't mm. seen it in a while, and uh, I forgot that you had filmed some of it at the Ark, which tonight you're playing there. Not that that's relevant by the time people hear this, but yeah, uh, it's relevant because you're going to probably sing Mississippi Hippie and they're going to boo when you say Ohio State, just so you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing the Ark, though, on the film, and uh, at that point you were joined. Maybe by. I could change it to Michigan State tonight. <laughs> <laughs> if you could work it in, I bet that would be more popular. But Yeah. Yeah, that'd be funny. Um, what was it like being filmed all the time, though? I bet that was uncomfortable. It kind of was. It got annoying after a while. And I'm sure it it got, um, you know, Shane was always trying to, like, get the shot. And I was always trying to concentrate on what I was doing. And sometimes he would get really frustrated with me. Like, he would kind of, like, yell at me to slow down or <laughs> do stuff. I remember one time we were I was trying to do this running scene. And we were running through Washington, D.C. And he was trying to follow me with the camera. And I was going too fast for him. He's just got mad. He's like, I, slow down. I was impressed with your pace, by the way, when oh. I watched that. I'm like, wow, he runs well. I was hamming it up for the camera a little bit. I wasn't really running that fast the whole time. But I got to take a lot of breaks, so I, I would run really pretty hard and make it look like I was um, you know, super fast. You, you did look super fast. You had me good. fooled. Yeah. <laughs> Secrets are being revealed. Shh. <laughs> That's funny. So that also made me wonder, because you talk about a bit about the – not to say lack of success, but it made me wonder what success means to you. I don't know. I mean, I, I still question. I think if we could do the movie all over again, I now knowing what I know, I would do it in a little bit different way. Like I would definitely include some more highlights of um, how good things have been in certain moments. And I think the idea with Shane and I had shared a common path in that um, we had both had a, a, a fair amount of success early on and then it was like we kind of hit a little plateau and then we watched other people like come up from behind us and the feeling was almost like we're getting passed up and we didn't quite make it to where we we thought we wanted to and so we were trying to make a film just about dealing with those feelings and dealing with the um just the normal struggles of being a musician and trying to um follow your dreams and get from point a to point b but i think there were times when watching the film in hindsight where I think it maybe portrayed me as a little more downtrodden than I than I actually am in real life. And so I think I would have um, I would have made it a little bit different probably. But what was good about it is that it showed me the movie reflected to me that like 
maybe my opinion of myself wasn't as high as it actually should be, which is a really weird thing when you're almost like you're you're trying to be humble or something, but you're almost like overdoing it and thereby like holding yourself back a little bit. And I think the movie showed me that I probably do that a bit where like I hold myself back in ways and uh, that helped me that that helped me like be free from that and realize oh man I'm already so successful like I don't have to worry about this all the time you know like I'm I'm I've had so many great things and I've been blessed to be able to make all these records and I'm so fortunate and it, it helps me think about all the good stuff instead of like where I didn't get to you know right I mean most people don't get past one or two records. You're at, depending on how you count your albums, yeah. Because not all of them are available. Uh, apparently, thirteen. Mm -hmm. I only count nine, but mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so really, the success could be that you're still doing it, and there are, are always going to be ebbs and flows in the audience size. I mean, yeah. I, I got to interview when he was in kind of not quite back to playing bigger rooms. Colin Hay. Yeah. Growing up, Colin Hay was, you know the guy from Men at Work who right. sang at the biggest venue in town. And now I'm interviewing him in the studio where he's playing to maybe 400 people that night. Mm -hmm. And then eventually his career got, so, I mean, you might have this little yeah. play to a bunch of sold out rooms. You don't right now, you're not going to sell out too many shows because mm -hmm. I went to shows in the last year that should have been more full because of the pandemic. And yeah. They were definitely not. I mean, yeah. Jonathan Brooke, most recent guest on the podcast would normally sell out the arc. There was probably a hundred people there, which was mm -hmm. very stunning to me. It's very strange. Yeah. It's been like that across the board for a while, but, um, some some stuff is starting to do well again. Yeah. But every now and then, like I got to the place in the past few years where I, before the pandemic, where all the shows seemed to be solid, and I was like, gosh, I haven't had like a like a stinker of a show in a long time. You you kind of plan on that, you know. You always plan on having a few duds once in a while, and and there was a lot of them when you started, but then um, that started to it happened a little bit with the pandemic, but. Just got to keep rolling with it and keep going, going keep, forward. I say keep going too. I yeah, wanna, I want to hear more music from you as it continues to come out of you. Um, got a few more questions, but are you ready to try another song? And I, I think it's the one I think. I yeah, have. you want me to play, you want me to play? Uh, I need the backstory. How the hell did you write this song? Uh, <laughs> I was playing. I was trying to learn some guitar stuff, and so I was doing this, learning this. Uh, Stuff Mark Knopfler was talking about of playing four beats to the bar with your thumb and then still picking in, in between it. And so I was practicing that a lot and I kept playing around with these chords and then I just, this melody came into my head and I, I kept singing something like Tuxedo over and over again. It was like, my tuxedo, da 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 da. And I just came up with as many things as I could think of that rhymed with Tuxedo. And I uh, started the song with like, here comes Guido, and sounded like, you know, probably subconsciously from, from the um, Dire Straits song, Here Comes Johnny. And so I uh, I just kept playing, I played around with it, and it just, the song got more ridiculous and more ridiculous, and then uh, for whatever reason, my mind, as I'm making rhymes, I'm like, Guido, Tuxedo, Burrito, Torpedo, John Bomberito. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Why I had to put you in there? I'm 
I'm completely honored. And th- even the way that I found out that the song existed made me go, what? Because it was Liz Longley who said, hey, have you heard the new Griffin House song? Because she had seen you live, doing it live. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? She said, you're in it. I'm in it? What do you mean I'm in it? <laughs> so funny. And that's that was a hilarious moment for me at a down. I was feeling very down at that time. So that was oh. like a, a lift for me. So. Man, I mean, if any if uh, anybody else ever puts your name in a song, I'll be... Uh, I'll be impressed, but <laughs> it's probably only, only going to happen uh, once. Yeah, I, I think now I'm up there with uh, Joe DiMaggio because Paul Simon wrote him in the song. <laughs> That's so, right. Right there, right, right there with Joe. All right, this is a song that uh, if you've paid attention to my radio show, uh, if you've watched the video playlist, you've heard it a few times. It's called <laughs> Green. Here comes Guido, swinging his burrito, puffing on a cigar, sipping on a Tito's, winking at the woman with the big torpedoes, walking down the beach wearing nothing but a Speedo, these those Dems and using Yens, I'm heading down to Pittsburgh to see my friends. Me, oh my, oh, made it to Ohio, just in time to see the sun go down in the sky. Luck changes every day, you never know which one might go your way. Just keep trying, I ain't lying. You get busy living or you get busy dying. That's my credo, cheesy as a Cheeto. Doesn't matter much to me, amigo. Whether you fail or you succeed, cause either way, life's pretty neat, oh yeah. Well, I ran into the woman with the big torpedoes Pumping gas outside Toledo We hit it off and the next thing we know I'm walking down the aisle in my new tuxedo Got hitched on the 4th of July Gave up my independence and I don't know why I made a vow to the day I die It didn't matter anyhow She left me for another guy Luck changes every day You never know which one might go your way Just keep trying, I ain't lying You get busy living or you get busy dying That's my credo, corny is a Frito Doesn't matter much to me, amigo Whether you fail or you succeed, oh Either way, life's pretty neat, oh yeah Ah, old Rodrigo, working the bodego. Won the lotto and he bought a Winnebago. Called San Diego just to tell his sister, you can stop dancing at the pink flamingo now. Luck changes every day, you never know which one might go your way. Just keep trying, I ain't lying. You get busy living or you get busy dying. That's my credo, cheesy as a Cheeto. Doesn't matter much to me, amigo. Whether you fail or you succeed, either way, life's pretty neat, oh yeah. What's that, huh? Oh, that's my ego telling me they won't play this on the radio. That's okay, though, my bandito. I know a DJ named John Bomarito, yeah. 
He's a real guy up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm sitting here with him right now. What's this? Oh no. Here comes Guido, swinging his burrito, smooching on the woman with the big torpedoes. They both pretend they don't see me though. He's walking down the beach wearing my tuxedo. Luck changes every day, you never know which one might go your way. Just keep trying, I ain't lying. You get busy living or you get busy dying. That's my credo, cheesy as a Cheeto. Doesn't matter much to me, amigo. Whether you fail or you succeed, cause either way, life's pretty neato. Griffin House's Guido on Acoustic Alternatives. <laughs> Appropriately, the song that mentions me also says cheesy as a Cheeto and corny as a Frito because that's probably how people describe my sense of humor anyway. <laughs> I was trying, I tried to work Dorito in there, but it just didn't work. So well, I had to stick with Cheeto and Frito. And Frito. Strangely, I don't like either one of those snacks, but they <laughs> rhyme with my name and I get it. And uh, the other thing is that it may be a silly novelty song, but there's still a really good message in there. Yeah, that's what's kind of cool about it. It's real. And I found out that um, I didn't really know where that line came from, but um, the line, you get busy living or you get busy dying, is Andy's line from um, Shawshank Redemption. Hmm. And I watched the movie with my kids, and he was like, he said that in the, at the end of the movie. And it makes me cry, that movie. Just like I think about that movie and it makes me cry. So I think there's an element of that where there's a subconscious reference to just that feeling of like, hey, man, life's going to throw you lots of curveballs. You have no idea when your luck's going to get better or go downhill. And you just got to kind of roll with the punches and get busy living and get busy dying. And a lot of us have had challenges. <laughs> I mean, the pandemic made it difficult for lots of people. But even yeah. just, you know, life might have been going strangely before that hit. In my case, it kind of was. And then I hit that, like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this, there's a positive thing here for, for everybody. Not yeah. Just, not just guy who's name dropped in the song, which was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. But thank you. Songs are so cool because, you know, it's like there's been times where uh, that songs made me tear up for whatever reason. And it's weird that a song that's so freaking silly and stupid and, and just, like, makes you – it makes everybody laugh just because it's, it gives them a – Shocker can can do that, but uh, that's why I love music. That's why I got into doing it. The power of what words and a melody can do to our emotions is is incredible. It's a the art form itself is just an amazing thing because you know it takes a lot to like look at a painting and get goosebumps, but it doesn't take much when you hear a song for that to happen. No, and um, that's why I lo love music so much. And it's uh when I figured out that I might be able to just make some chords up myself and write something that could get someone to feel something deeply. Uh, it, it meant it meant everything to me. It was like uh, opening this superpower or something. <laughs> the first song I wrote was for my um, high school sweetheart who we broke up and went to different colleges. And um, I missed her a lot, and she came to visit me, and I'd learned some guitar, and I played her the song, and she cried. And... Uh, that was like, oh, man, this is awesome. 
I have the power. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Exactly. Nice. So I try to use it for good. Yeah. And uh, try to use it to, as my own personal little therapist, and then sometimes those songs get to go out there and help other people experience joy and and heal and laugh and cry if they need to. and. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for doing your job. Yeah, man. It's a pleasure. (laughs) I know there are, besides music, two other things that make you happy, and they're four-letter words, yoga and golf. (laughs) I haven't done yoga in a while. Um, I need to do more. That's not true. I use the tools that I know, but just basically to to stretch out. But um, I haven't been to, like, classes in in a while because the past couple of years has been difficult, obviously. But I was going to hot yoga a lot in Nashville before stuff closed down, and that was... That was really fun. You just crank tense. it up to like 120 degrees. You just sweat like crazy. <laughs> it feels so good afterwards. Makes but, me uh, thirsty just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's intense. Was, it's wasn't there some golfing thing that you were recently involved in that I'm drawing a blank on what it was? I was I went to go test some equipment for um, Golf Digest Hot List. And um, we test all the equipment for the year. And they kind of documented everything. And... Uh, I've done some stuff with them before. They've included me on like the musician golfers list and uh, the rankings. <laughs> so um, that's then, cool. Yeah, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to do more stuff like um, cross pollination with music and and golf and find out a way to like work, just be around that environment more when I'm on the road because it's something that I enjoy doing during the day when I'm not playing a show. I have. Sometimes I have time to do that, and it'd be nice if I could do something professionally a little bit more. So I've got some some irons in the fire with that, but I'm hoping that maybe in the next couple of years I can do more of it. Good luck. Yeah, you should, have, you should have your fun when you're out on the road working. Yeah, yeah. Because driving is not much fun. No, <laughs> do like a little kind of second job type of thing, but yeah. yeah. How do you keep healthy on the road? Because I know you walked in saying, I'm feeling not so, you know, strong today. I've just sung so many, I've played um, so many shows that um, no matter how healthy I am, the voice just gets tired. You know, it's like you you can't, I mean, you can be really, really healthy, but you you just max a muscle out after a while, you know, the more you work it. And so I'm grateful that I've, I've had the voice the whole tour. I've got two more shows to go. And, um... I hate losing my voice. I hate when my voice isn't 100% because it, I really like to be able to use it in the way that I that I want to, and I, I, I hate when it prevents me from singing certain songs or part, parts of certain songs that I want to. And I felt a little scratchy the past few days, but um, you can hear it in my voice now, I think, but it's it's holding up pretty good. And um, I, to stay healthy, though, I, I really just try to do a lot of green juice and eat well and make sure that I, I sleep enough. I haven't been, it hasn't been the healthiest, uh, tour. <laughs> this, it's been a lot of, um, a lot of cheeseburgers and, uh, not enough green juice and not enough sleep. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of burning the candle at both ends, but I'll get a little break after this and, uh, hopefully, hopefully get a little, get my health back on track a little bit. Sorry to make you work an extra hour or so on your, no, di- your in-between time. I, I appreciate you chatting with me. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other characters on the album Stories for a Rainy Day that are worth not necessarily playing if you don't feel like playing, but discussing the characters involved on the record? Because I know there were several. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I could songs. play um, I could play one more, I think, uh, if, if that works for you. I don't want to push you, but yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. I'm um, just trying to figure out which one would be best to play. I could 
I could play Clara or I could play a uh, little girl and the old man. Um, I'd probably pick Clara. And before you do that, I wanted to mention something backing up to your Mark Knopfler comment. My friend Mark Jewett was listening to this album independently of me telling him to do so. And he yeah. said, it seems to be a Mark Knopfler influence on Try Not to Think, uh-huh. which was interesting of him to pick up. I, I don't know how he've heard that. I don't know. so weird. That I know. He... He's a guitar player as well. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. I don't know what that influence would be, but it it's definitely there. Unless, unless it was maybe just the way that I was singing it or something. I don't know. I don't know that's, either. That's interesting. It's I weird how people can hear that. This guy in the car the other day, like, there's a song on um, called You Mean the World to Me, and that has some George Michael influence in it, but I don't think you would know. And and this guy picked up, picked up on it. He's like, man, it's kind of like George Michael. And I'm like, how do you... How did you know that? Like, it's just very strange. Like, listen without prejudice, era George. What what era would he have picked? Up? I, I I didn't pick up on it, and I'm a George fan, so I think it's just the style, like the um, the way I sang that song is different than I've ever really sung a song before. So it was more. Uh, I went up into my head voice more and used my voice in a way that was different, and I I guess that that influence came through somehow. But it's, I think it's just in the singing. Interesting. So. Now that we have this thrash metal going on next door, I don't know if we can. uh, Maybe we shouldn't do the song, but we could try. Yeah, give it a shot. All right, if you're up for it. So this song is called Clara. Wow, that's very loud over there. Okay, if it works out, it works out. If not, doesn't. I know a girl and her name is Clara She rides a bike in the modern era, yeah She has a Halloween costume With the knife and the SWAT team, oh yeah Oh Clara Crazy Hera Oh Clara, crazy Hera Just a girl in the modern era, yeah Girls and boys, they tease her She only wears the clothes that please her Yeah, oh Clara With the crazy hair She don't mess around with girly colors She's the ringleader of all the fellas Yeah, oh Clara With the crazy hair She's not a tomboy, she's just Clara Just a girl in the modern era Yeah Some people say she's a boy pretender She's too young to know her gender, yeah Oh Clara, crazy Hera Just a girl in the modern era, yeah She wants to be a superhero Like Spider-Man, she has no fear, oh yeah Oh, Clara, with the crazy hair, she likes Pikachu and Charmander, she's the boss baby and you can't command her, yeah, oh, Clara, no bows in her hair and no mascara, just a girl in the modern era, yeah. Some people say she's a boy pretender She's too young to know her gender, yeah 
Oh, Clara, crazy hair, just a girl in the modern era, yeah. In the modern era, in her hair, no mascara, just a girl in the modern era, yeah. Oh, Clara, beautiful Clara, just a girl in the modern era, yeah. In the modern era, In the modern era, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't coming through until now. Yeah, <laughs> now, it's, now it's coming through. <laughs> Clara, one of my favorite songs on Stories for a Rainy Day. Griffin House, my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives. Two more quick questions. Yeah. Uh, if you were, if money was no object, touring solo or touring with a band? Oh, um, I'd just do them both. I think I would. I'd go out and do what we're doing now. Um, I like the. It's really simple this way, and also I think I'm able to connect with the audience um, more easily this way because I feel like I have carte blanche to just talk as much as I want. Absolutely. And when the band's with me, I don't really feel like I can do that because I'm conscious of their feelings and what they're thinking, and they if they stand around on stage. While I'm talking too much, it just feels like they're like, "Come on, I want to play some music." So it's hard. It's hard for me to feel free to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And also, a lot of the rooms that we end up playing are not really conducive to a band sound. Like the place we played last night, really, almost would have been too much. And so, a lot of the rooms are just better acoustic. But I miss. I definitely miss some of the moments, uh, exciting moments of um, being on stage with the band and being able to turn it up a bit and mm. it's fun you know to be out with the guys too for for a while but um after i got married we realized that that just was not like a sustainable or healthy recipe for um keeping a marriage together it's just like going and disappearing on the road with guys for a month was just like not it, it, it's like very hard to sustain so um for sure yeah and your name is probably i uh, People have said to me, I don't know that band when I say your name. Like, no, it's a person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that probably annoys the heck out of you. Was it annoying when the TV show House was popular? No, because sometimes people say that. Um, the Harry Potter thing was like when people asked me if I named my band or named my artist name after Harry Potter, I'm like, well, I was born in 1980, so probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my band. It's me. <laughs> I've, I've gone like full circle with my name because it's like, I didn't like it when I was a kid because it was too different. I wanted to be like, you know, a Mike or a Matt or a Jeff or something like that. Um, or a just, John Bomarito. Yeah, John Bomarito. Because it's it so was, musical. But it was, um, <laughs> and then it got, then later I was like, oh, no, I have a really cool name. And then with all these, like, weird references now with this, <laughs> it's, I feel like that's like full circle, circle where I'm, like, suffering the downside of being <laughs> named Griffin House nah. again. But, uh, yeah, it's it's all right. Look for the album Stories for a Rainy Day, your first non-physical release, I think, right? The first digital-only release you put out? Yeah, I have not um, pressed up any 
CDs, and that's really weird to to do that. But people just are not buying CDs at shows, so there's no point. Um, I still feel like they're a calling card, but you've established yourself. You don't need a calling card. You have yeah. nine, nine other ones. I, I guess. printed posters, so I have the artwork with the USB drive, so you can you yeah. can take the files on the USB and um, and take the artwork with you, and it's a lot handier and um, tends to be how people listen to music anyway. So well, there you go. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing some songs from it, despite feeling a little like, I'm not yeah. sure what it is. So, and we have a little challenge, which I haven't had. I, and I've been doing this for a year and a half. I think it's the first time we've yeah. been getting so much bleed in. But hey, Grove, Grove Studios has its purpose. And those who yeah. are in the uh, Ann Arbor, Detroit area, and you're looking for a place, then like, again, you're not annoying your yeah, neighbors. Right now. You're annoying us right now. But <laughs> that's okay, because, you know, they pay their money, and so did I. But it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> that's what they're here for. They're they're making it available for people in and around the area to uh to practice yeah so, griffin great. great to see you sir. great to see you too john thank, thank you for having me back my pleasure and thank yeah. you again for the honor of putting me in a song that ties us together forever as i as you said on the i phone. know <laughs> it's forever man it's, all, it's <laughs> in the books <laughs> all right uh good luck with the tour the rest of the tour a couple more days and then i'm sure you'll get to go back out in the summer and, and a bit and do some more yeah we'll talk soon thanks right. for thanks for being here and uh, hopefully there's another acoustic alternatives podcast i don't have another one book this could be the end yeah thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see